Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. There are certain sounds that come to mean something in our lives. The foghorns of the bay, connecting us all to the sea and to the currents of human and economic movements around this world. These kinds of sounds, their stories, and their relationship to memory, which is to say to time, populate Sam Green's remarkable new film, 32 Sounds. The title is an homage to the cult favorite 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Green will be screening 32 Sounds here in the Bay Area in the coming week, and he joins us with this sound designer, Mark Mangini, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Before any of us could see, before we were even properly human, we existed in the womb and in that very first environment for us as organisms, there is a soundscape. Here it is. And as in human life, so it goes in Sam Green's new immersive documentary, 32 Sounds. We hear that boomscape as the first sound. I find something happens to me when I concentrate on the different types of sounds around me, when I bring the subconscious constantly flowing into our ears and being transduced into electrical signals for our brains to parse and for our hearts to remember. When I make all that conscious, I can be transported. And this film will do that to you, take you to places and times both outside and inside yourself and also those that are kind of in between. We're joined this morning by filmmaker Sam Green. His other films include A Thousand Thoughts, which features the Kronos Quartet, Weather Underground, which was nominated for an Academy Award, and forum favorite, Fog City. Welcome, Sam. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) We're a San Francisco show, Bay Area show. We have to love Fog City. And as this is a movie about sound, we couldn't do this interview without the sound designer for 32 Sounds, Mark Mangini, who's won two Oscars for sound design for his work on the movies Dune and Mad Max Fury Road. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Alexis. So, Sam, I want to start off with uh, another particular sound. We're not actually going to hear it, but we'll just think about it. The sound of a fire burning. And the image I'll give to people is that a piano is on fire. I want to start there because the sound of something burning is so distinct and yet also usually plays as kind of background to the flickering flame. And I feel like I really heard it in a new way in this film. 
And also, that particular sound of a piano burning was created by one of the great characters I've ever seen in a documentary, Anaya Lockwood. Can you tell us about her? Yeah, Anaya Lockwood is 83, I think. She's a composer and sound artist and sort of resists labels in a way. She's a great artist, and she's been making works probably 60 years now. She lives in upstate New York, and early in the pandemic, I read a reference to her in a book. It was just a line that said, Anaya Lockwood has recorded the sound of rivers for more than 50 years. (laughs) Wow. And it just intrigued me. Um, And I started Googling, who is this person? I'd never heard of her. And the more I heard her work and learned about her, the more intrigued I got. And this was the early pandemic I mentioned. I just emailed her out of the blue and said, hey, my name is Sam Green. I'm learning about sound. Can I talk to you? And she wrote back and said, sure, how about this afternoon? (laughs) And so we just started up this long conversation that lasted until today, really. But uh, I learned so much from her and was inspired. And she's a great muse. When you say record rivers, like you mean that actually like quite literally. Yeah. She um, is a musician in a very expanded sense of the word. So she put out a record, for example, called Sound Map of the Danube, where she made recordings from one end of the Danube River in Europe to the to the other end and put together a kind of collage. And <clears throat> you might think it's on YouTube. You can listen to it. It's great. It's a record. And you might think it's one of those, you know, 10-hour fall asleep type of videos, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's very carefully constructed. It's uh, And she considers it music, which I don't see why it can't be. You know, it's it's a composition in a way. And she talks about the musicality of the sound of rivers, and mm. it's really true. Yeah. You know, um, Grace Wan and I, our producer on the show, we really thought your interview with Anaya Lockwood kind of presented a thesis for the film, or maybe actually just for life. So let, let's hear this cut here. There's something I started writing about about a year ago, listening with, as opposed to listening to. And um, it's my sense that if I'm standing here, I'm just one of many organisms that are listening with one another within this environment, not even to the environment. We're within it, and we're all listening together, as it were. That was Anaya Lockwood. Um, Sam, tell me what that ended up meaning for you. Well, I, I agree with you and Grace that it is a kind of thesis for the film in a way. And that, that idea from her actually really changed the way I think of myself and in relation to the world and my experience of the world through sound especially. But I think it's just a very, almost a semantic shift, but thinking of yourself as one piece of a of a web of energy and vibrations, not to sound too new agey, but it's true. And not that you're the center of it, you're a piece and the birds are a piece and the ambulance outside is a piece. And all of that is a kind of web that is, our experience of the world. It's its a neat and I think in a way humbling way of looking at the world, but important. There's a, there's a lot of importance in that slight distinction, mm-hmm. listening with as opposed to listening to. Mark, you know, as a sound designer, especially one of your stature, like 
How do you interpret a sonic artist like Lockwood? Like, do you listen like she listens, or do you think your ears are tuned to kind of an entirely different set of potentials within sound? No, in fact, uh, it was really quite something to be introduced to Anea through the film. I, I have not met her in person, but to find a kindred spirit who hears and has the, the, a listening faculty much like my own, which is to say that when I listen to the world and a good part of what I need to do as a sound designer is hear the world in a unique way and hear rhythms and tonalities and timbres. Um, these are all, all constructs that you might hear a composer talk about, but Anea and I hear all of that as composers of sound in the, the bigger world that we listen to. And, and we find meaning and beauty and um, musicality in everything that we hear. You mentioned the, the, the piano uh, at the beginning of the, of the piece here. And it got me thinking that, you know, the absurdity of, of, the, of, of an, an early piece of hers was burning a piano and it was presented as um, a concert, if you will, and, 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 and an audience was invited to, to enjoy the performance. And what I love about that is that it encourages an audience to get a little bit outside of their expectations mm -hmm. of sound and, of course, even music performance, and maybe ask simple questions like, do I hear rhythm in that? Is the fire playing the piano? And if a fire is playing piano, how different is it than a fingers playing the piano? Mm. So I, I just love that there that people like Anea exist because we're. I think one of the things we're asking uh, people to do, not just audiences, is listen a little more critically to the world around you and and see what you make of it. Mm. You know, when you mentioned the sort of getting outside of our expectations for sound, it immediately made me think of the Foley artists that you uh, talked to in the film, <laughs> Sam. And, you know, for, pe for people who don't know, Foley artists are the people who kind of make a lot of the sound for the shows and, and movies that, that people see. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you decided to incorporate Foley sound into the film? Yeah, I've I've always really been intrigued by Foley. And I think I remember... Many years ago, there was, before movies in theaters, there was an ad that the L.A. Times did, a series, and it was, I don't know why exactly, it was Foley artists, and they'd sort of show a scene from a movie and then show the Foley artists, you know, if it was like somebody breaking a bone, you know, they'd show them doing celery, and it's just, there's something really delightful about seeing that, and so I've always been interested in Foley, but on a more sort of serious note, I, I've always been intrigued by the idea that Many times, um, the real sound of something doesn't sound as real as a fake <laughs> right. version of that. <laughs> yeah. And which is just a neat concept. And so I, I like that because a lot of what the film is is, is about the sort of nature of sound. And, and not only that, but how it works w with our brains. You know, what happens between the object making the sound and our thoughts. And so that's an interesting little moment in that. And so I I tracked down this sound, this Foley artist, Joanna Fang, who's great. And she, it was just really fun to film with her and see how she thinks about her own work, which is much more sophisticated than I thought. I, I had not realized that Foley is almost like a combination of 
of music, sound art, and performance. It mm-hmm. really is all three of those in a very masterful way. Yeah, for those who are interested, you can go back and listen to, if you search like KQED Forum and Foley Artists, we had had a, uh, some amazing Foley Artists on. And yeah, when you say performance, you mean like literally the footsteps that you're going to hear. They've got to make those footfalls. But of course, you know, that's not, they're doing it with their hands. Well, and, also with that, I mean, Joanna said, Almost all the sounds I make you could find in a sound library. But when I do footsteps, if the character is scared, I infuse the performance with that. And so that would make a different sound in a very subtle way than just any generic footsteps. And I I, I think that's true. I mean, it's a very subtle distinction, but it can be huge, Her her intention with the sounds. Yeah. We are talking about the immersive documentary 32 Sounds with Sam Green, of course, the filmmaker of 32 Sounds, and Mark Mangini, sound designer for 32 Sounds, also has worked, done amazing work and award-winning work on Dune and Mad Max Fury Road, which absolutely blew my ears off when I saw it in the theater. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mark. Well, um, Mark actually went from doing Dune straight to doing 32 Sounds, so I really <laughs> have always admired that, that pivot. A little gear change. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Keeps keeps you fresh, you know, cross-training. Um, we would love to hear from listeners as well. What's your favorite sound, and why does it mean so much to you? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed. Dot org. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Threads. We're KQED Forum. We have a, a couple of listener comments already about favorite sounds. A couple that I love. I love the sound of our front door opening. It means someone I love is coming home. Oh, that's nice. Another listener writes, Sparrows singing and bongo drumming. Living near Golden Gate Park as a kid. <laughs> Another listener writes, Putting your ears on the metal part of a swing set when someone is swinging. The best sound ever. That was me during elementary school recess listening. Oh, man, that's a that's a good one. I got to try that. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more on the film 32 Sounds when we get back from the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the immersive documentary 32 Sounds with its sound designer, Mark Mangini, and its director, Sam Green. Mark, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you think about hearing and sound. And you've called sound a two-for-one sense in the past. Can you tell me about that? What do you mean by that? 
Sure. It's just sort of a, a bonus in that uh, sound uh, as we hear it is a sense that um, is derived from the excitation of some small little hairs on the inside of the ear and, and those uh, those vibrations are turned, turned into electrical impulses that we we understand as hearing, but sound is also a wave, and um, we feel waves on our skin. So when sound is particularly loud, and if you especially if you hear some very low frequency sound as we have in our film, you can feel that on your skin. It pushes uh, it pushes the skin, and and you get that sort of extra double sense, mm. double 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 your money. I think is the yeah. idea. One of my friends has done a lot of diving with big marine mammals. And one of the things I've always been so amazed by is her descriptions about being like scanned by the sonar of dolphins or hearing the sound, you know, feeling the sound waves moving through the water of like humpback whales. I've always wanted to, to record that. Yeah, I'd love to do that someday. Um, Sam, we should probably talk a little bit about the sort of structure of the film, like what it actually is. Like, how did you decide on 32 sounds and what might someone encounter if they either go to one of the live screenings over the next week or they watch at home? Well, sound is such a sprawling and massive topic that I knew from the beginning that I needed a kind of framing device for it. And I'd always loved the movie, you mentioned 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Mm. It's a biopic and biopics, in my experience, (laughs) no offense to all biopic makers, can be so boring corny. and cliche yeah. and corny. They always start with a flat a scene and then they flash back to the person's life and the whole life fits into a 90-minute structure and then they get back to the first scene and it's over. And we all know all lives are messy and contradictory and mysterious and are more than that. So I've like 32 short films about Glenn Gould is about the Canadian pianist and uses just little vignettes and it's wildly varied in its style and you never know what's coming next and I just always have loved that spirit so I figured with uh, sound I needed to do something similar I'm not going to make an authoritative documentary about sound or the last word <laughs> the on history of sound yes yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. it's um, <laughs> it's my very subjective take on sound so in little vignettes and it uses in a in a loose way 32 different sounds with a kind of essay around it. And I think some people might feel like, oh, it's just a random assortment of sounds, but it's actually a very carefully constructed flow of different sounds and ideas that hopefully starts in one place and finishes somewhere else. I want to bring in our first caller with a a great sound, Eric in Benicia. Welcome. Hey, Eric, can you hear me? Eric is doing 433. Yeah, oh, there he is. Perfect. Okay, you've got a great sound. Go ahead, Eric. It is that classic uh, eagle in the sky sound that you heard with John Wayne, but you still hear it today in TV and movies. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so you're just, uh, the contention being like they just are literally using the same sound, right? Yeah, why am I hearing the same sound that I heard when I was five, when I'm almost 45? It, it, it hasn't changed, but it's still it's still familiar, and it's still, uh, I don't know, now it makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. Eric, I love it. Mark, can you provide us an answer on this? Like, is there a standard you just, like, when you need an yes. eagle in a movie, you press the button? 
It's well, not only a, an eagle, but arguably you, you hear them a lot on American automobile ads, and it has become the the stand-in for freedom uh, and ah. wide open spaces. And it is actually known as and is a recording of a red-tailed hawk, if you want the specific genus and species. And it has been a canned sound that has been circulated amongst the, the global sound community for decades. It's been around for a good 60 years. Have you, have you ever used it, Mark? Um, as a joke. Only as a joke. <laughs> but no, it, it's embarrassing. Um, it's, it's such a trope, it's, it's, it's almost hard to stomach. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm that, totally you know, with your collar. <laughs> I, I've also heard, right, like horses galloping oftentimes, right? It was recorded, maybe this is just in a, in a radio doc I heard long ago, was like they, somebody recorded some of these horses galloping and now those are oftentimes reused. Yeah, and to, just to get right to the heart of the matter, we have your audience look up the Wilhelm, which is the quintessential um, sound joke in every movie. That's so great. I'll, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yes, fair enough. Um, on the other end of kind of the profundity scale, in particular, like in context, um, Sam, you have a sound of this bird, the moho brancitis. Is it brancitis? Bracatus. Bracatus. Um, talk to me about the bird, and then we'll play the sound. Yeah, the moho bricatus was a little Hawaiian bird that uh, was was decimated by development in the 20th century. And by the 1980s, there were only two moho bricatuses left, and they were in a zoo, I believe. And uh, there was a hurricane, and one of them, the female, was killed. So there was one moho bricatus left, and in the spring it did its mating call, and somebody recorded it. And it's a, it's a pretty haunting sound once you know what it is in the context. Mm. All right, let's uh let's listen to it. You know, Sam, I, I was thinking, you know, you've, you've pitched the movie as being about sound. But when I kind of start to line up the different themes of this movie, it kind of feels like the sound, this film is about loss, right? And the audio of capturing things that will inevitably be lost and whether that does or does allow you to kind of hold on to them. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. I mean, you set off to make a movie about one thing and often you are surprised that it's about more than that or slightly something slightly different and i would agree it's I, in my mind it's a movie about loss but also about then being present and we try to stop time in a desperate way by mm. recording things and holding on to things and ultimately we can't do that and we all know that's a losing battle on some level but so all that remains really is the present and there are moments when you can be fully alive and fully present. They're rare because we are pulled in so many different directions. But for myself, at least, sound, and this is one of the ways in which making this film changed me, that sound is a way to do that, to root to, yourself in the yeah. present moment and to really be alive for maybe a short mm. short time, but it's, it's, it's odd and, and can be very wonderful and pleasurable and uh, deep. Yeah. You know, let's uh let's do that again. Let's we we have a San Francisco 
Foghorn. We played it earlier, but let's just all listen to it kind of quietly together, and we'll we'll just center ourselves right on you know this San Francisco Foghorn. <laughs> Whenever I I hear that, of course, you know where you are. You're like you're in the Bay Area. You were hearing these these foghorns. You talked with an OG San Francisco writer, Harold Gilliam, about what these foghorns signaled to him, meant to him, how he I guess how he listened to them is probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, it was actually I made a documentary about fog, and so I interviewed a lot of people. And Harold Gilliam was a longtime writer for The Chronicle and a kind of environmentalist. And he wrote a book about San Francisco weather, which is kind of the the book about San Francisco weather. And so I went to interview him about fog. And, you know, I asked him all sorts of questions. But at some point, he started talking. He lived out in the avenues, and he started talking about, he was probably 90. And he started talking about being awake and alone late at night and hearing the foghorns and what that meant for him. And it really it was it was in a way like hearing an A. Lockwood talk about listening with because Harold Gilliam described how the foghorns made him feel connected to the bay, the tides, the mariners on the bay, the currents, the turning of the earth. This really he's, he he mm-hmm. took the foghorns and got incredibly deep and you know very quickly in a way that surprised me, but it really has always stuck with me that kind of monologue he went on about the sound of the foghorns and what it meant to him. Mm. Foghorns are powerful sound just sonically, of course, but also, I think, emotionally because they're so part of the fabric, the sonic landscape here. Yeah. You know, uh, for a project I did a few years ago on container shipping, I got obsessed with the idea of the soundscapes that were kind of inside and aboard ships. Oh, and wow. I got permission to go on one and record, you know, one of the boxes uh, being dropped into the hold by one of these big gantry cranes. And wow. it's this incredible kind of bone shattering steel on steel low. Uh, remember, I'm an amateur. Mark, don't judge me. I'm going to play this for you. <laughs> you were even moved. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's hear. This is just like what, what you're hearing here is basically a big box, metal box hitting uh, a metal, big metal frame. Oh, oh yeah. I love sounds like that. I love sounds like that. And here here was my question, right? I was just like a audio documentary dork with a shotgun mic. You all had this like special equipment because I wish I know exactly what that felt like in my body. I know how the wave passed through me. How did you try and transmit that? Mark, maybe we'll maybe we'll start with you on this. Well, I, I think the, the the operative word here is immersive. You had a shotgun mic, and for your audience, that means it's a single source. It's a monaural recording point source. If you played it in a theater or on your radio, it would come right down the middle, right at you, and 
you would not feel enveloped as you had being inside of that space where you would you very likely heard that metal rattle and boom and vibrate mm-hmm. all around you. So um, Sam and I talked at length about how do we bring that immersive sense of being in a space to his film where where you might otherwise you as a documentarian had a mono mic a, a shotgun. Most documentarians might capture that sequence with a single microphone. We wanted to do something that went beyond that and, in fact, was more real, more. There was greater verisimilitude because, of course, we hear in 360 degrees, not a speaker in front of us. And so there's an incredible scene in the movie that really demonstrates this. If you're doing the movie properly, you're wearing your headphones. You have this incredible rocket scientist slash sound uh, artist Sam, who walks around you, right? Who kind of like sh- demonstrates how spatial sound really is. Can you talk touch us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, that the scientist is named Edgar Schwery, and he's a professor of physics at Princeton. And Mark is a friend of his, and I got to know him through Mark. And he's a great thinker about sound, and just a, a great character. And he does a lot of work on spatial sound, which means using technology to record sound in a way that plays back all around you. And we used what are called binaural microphones and ambisonic microphones. And um, so he demonstrates this by taking a, a box, little box of matches and walking around the microphone, shaking them. And so then when you listen to it, he is literally walking around your, your mm-hmm. head and it's a it's a it's a sort of dazzling it's almost like a show offy trick because people <laughs> in the audience often gasp because it yeah, when it sounds goes, so real yeah right. yeah um I, you know mark one of the things that one of the questions that i had about this was you know there's all this spatial information that we're able to pick up from sound like you know where Ooh. that person is standing but it all mm. has to end up on just like two tracks of audio right it ends up like embedded in this kind of left right channels yeah. I, that that kind of blew my mind and like how do you think about that encoding like how does our brain put together that you know 3d space from just kind of these two channels well, um, you because we only have two receptors, our left and right ears, we have the ability to create spatial sound with only two transducers from, from two points um, or two capture points, which would be a microphone that puts um, the transducers where the ears are. And in fact, as you'll see in the film, we use a binaural microphone that is a dummy head. It looks like your head. It's on a microphone stand about human height. And the microphones are in carved ear spaces. And that's how we can capture an immersive sound and reproduce it uh, and, and give you that spatial sense without having to have a hundred speakers in a in a cinema as we often do to get immersive sound the other way or the hard way. Yeah. So Mark, as a sound designer, did you fall in love with the technology of it? Like all the ways that different things sound on different microphones, like that part of the craft? Or did you fall in love with sort of the finished product, like what it was to have created a particular sonic landscape from the parts? 
I fell in love with sound as a, 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 a way to move people. Um, I, I found that going to this, I started life as a guitarist and a musician, and and I was besotted with this idea that sound in all its forms, musical and otherwise, can could deeply move me, and I wanted to learn mm. how to do that myself. So the equipment was never very interesting to me and it is probably the weakest part of my 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 full uh, learning capacity um, because I I always wanted to be more of an artist than a technician and I, I still rub today when you hear the announcements about awards that that we are sound is considered a quote technical category <laughs> and and so that that just rubs me and I'm on a mission. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission to, to, to unwind all of that. And with people like Anea who hear the world in a, in, a, in a very beautiful and musical way, it's simply a matter of, of, of critically listening. Wow. Um, guys, we have some amazing listener comments coming in. Perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, NPR listeners uh, are uh, <laughs> audio nerds. And I love some of these sounds. So I'm just going uh, toss to a, toss a few at you. Um, Sam writes, the wah-wah sound of springs on a Pilates reformer contributes to the body-mind connection and is part of the healing restorative aspect of using the machine. That's a a fascinating one. Um, Another listener writes, um, uh, I love the sound of that car tires make going on an overpass, soothing and reminds me of long, safe road trips. Um, here's another one. When I moved to Campbell as a teen, I didn't know anyone, so I spent a lot of free time at the library. I checked out books, movies, and CDs, one of which was movie sound effects. I distinctly remember body falling down the stairs, playing it over and over, laughing out loud. Um, That's last... a lonely teenager. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, last one, uh, David writes in to say, I got so baked already this morning and this sound discussion is so wonderfully fulfilling my navel gazing. Thank you. Enjoy yourself, David. Be safe. Uh, we're talking about the immersive documentary 32 Sounds with Sam Green, filmmaker, made 32 Sounds, of course. Other films include A Thousand Thoughts, Weather Underground, and of course, Fog City. We're also joined by Mark Mangini, sound designer of 32 Sounds. He's won two Oscars in sound design for his work on the movies Dune and Mad Max Fury Road. What's your favorite sound, and why does it mean so much to you? Give us a call. The number's 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are joined by Mark Mangini, sound designer of the film 32 Sound, and Sam Green, its filmmaker. We are getting so many interesting comments uh, coming in. But before we get to some more of them, I wanted to, Sam, you're, you spent a lot of time making sort of live documentaries and, you know, You've been written up in academic books about film. Like people are really intrigued by the fact that you oftentimes are performing these films and you are doing that with this film. So tell us a little bit about how that works. Um, And then let's just we'll tell people Exploratorium, July 27th, uh, Smith Rafael Film Center, July 20th, 30th, Roxy Theater, 29th and Berkeley's uh, Rialto Theater, the Elmwood on July 30th, which is next Sunday. I'm going at five, everyone. Let's uh, let's go. Um, but yeah, tell me what how that's going to be different. Like, what do you do differently on stage? Okay, at the risk of totally confusing anybody who's thinking of attending any of these, I, for many years, have, have made what you mentioned described as live documentaries. So it's a film, but I narrate it in person in a, a band or group does a, a musical score live. So I made a live documentary about the Kronos Quartet called A Thousand Thoughts. And we tour around and show the movie, I narrate, and they perform the score. And it's fun. I love the form. So with uh, 32 Sounds, it sort of started in that way. I worked with a composer, a musician named J.D. Sampson, great musician named J.D. Sampson. And we made this sort of live show where I narrate, J.D. plays the music, and I put all the images on the screen. And um, so I'm going to do a kind of iteration of that at the Exploratorium on Thursday night, okay. which is I will narrate the film live. JD is in a band called La Tigre. They're having a huge world tour, and she's off, I think, in New York City doing a show. So it's just me, but it's, you know, pretty live. You're pretty good. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> um, I'm playing JD's, I'm cueing JD's music from my computer, so there will be music. Um, and then at the Roxy Elmwood in San Rafael the, this weekend, we're going to show a slightly different iteration, which is the film as a normal movie. Mm-hmm. But we travel around with 500 sets of headphones, FM transmitter headphones. And so we give them to everybody in the audience and do the sound mix live. So it's like 3D glasses for your ears is the way I sort of describe it. But the reason for that is that theaters often have very different kinds of sound systems. Sometimes they're not that great. I love theaters, so I say that lovingly. But this is a way so that everybody can have a very dynamite sonic experience. And it's fun, too. It's much, in a way, it's more powerful having this through headphones than just sitting in a movie theater. So if you go to the Roxy or the San Rafael or... Elmwood, that's what w- will happen. You'll you'll be given some headphones, and um, I'll do a Q and A after many of the shows. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, listener Tara writes in to say, "My favorite sound is silence, almost impossible to experience now, 
And Mark, I wanted to take this one to you. Like, how do you think about design? Like, there is no, like, silent silence, right? We're not in a, uh, in a chamber where there's no noise. So how do you think about, like, literally designing the sound of silence in a movie? It's, it's, it's a very deliberate uh, conversation to have with the filmmaker because, um, first of all, silence is a choice and silence is a creative choice. It's every bit as creative in how to deploy silence as it is to create the sound that you need to create. Um, interestingly, most of us cannot handle absolute silence as if you were in an anechoic chamber and in fact, whenever we've tried to do that in cinema, I, I work predominantly in narrative cinema. Um, if, if, if you did that, the audience would very likely think something had gone wrong with the projection system. Um, for a, a theater to go absolutely dead silent feels like something broke. So um, our, interestingly, um, I learned a, a technique from a painter about um, how to deploy silence through the use of, 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 of contrast. He told me that when you want the brightest whites in a painting, you put a dab of blue. And it's the, it is the contrast between the white and the blue that reminds you how white the white is. And that got me thinking about sound and the way to induce an audience to perceive silence is to have it almost silent, but to interrupt it on occasion. And it's the very interruptions the introduction of small sound that reminds you how quiet it's been. Oh, I love we, that. We, it's funny because Mark had said that to me, that you cannot have silence in a movie because people think it's something broke. And in this, in 32 films, we do have that. And it's with the deaf mm. sound artist Christine Sun Kim. Mm -hmm. And I like that Mark... Mark was game to break some rules, which was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Sam. But with her, it 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 yeah. makes sense. It it's conceptually yeah, appropriate. Really works. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, we're gonna do a little lightning round of calls here. We, I want to get to people's favorite sounds here. Let's go. Uh, Carol in Walnut Creek, you're first. Welcome. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. What's your favorite sound? I have two favorite sounds. I live near Heather Farm Park, and every other day almost, it seems to me, I hear the honking of the Canada geese as they fly from Heather Farm Park back up to Mount Diablo, and it's so sad and mournful, and I don't know why they honk like that. And then, also because I live where I do, and it's a hot summer day if I'm out in the yard, you can suddenly hear a small plane that's flying maybe to or from Buchanan Airfield, and it's a very low, comforting drone. I want to close my eyes and fall asleep listening to that drone. Right. So I'm very fortunate to live and have these two sounds, which I would miss terribly if I did not live here. <laughs> Carol, I love those. And, I mean, you have geese in the film. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a great sound. I really... I've, I, that sound does something to me in terms of memory, and it just takes me somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. Yeah, couldn't I couldn't agree more. I I think of my parents' house, landing they're landing in a field. Anyway, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Carter in Hayward, you're next. Welcome, Carter. Yeah, hey, thanks for the show. Uh, 
Uh, you're asking us favorite so- sounds, and, and for me, uh, it also fits in that category you're talking about earlier about like uh, kind of Hollywood sounds, famous Hollywood sounds. The California tree frog, also called the chorus frog, um, you know, it's a sound all over California. Um, anytime I'm out somewhere at night near water, um, it can create that you know totally immersive experience of uh, thousands of frog voices. Uh, all singing together that, that can be really uh, can really transport you. Yeah, Carter, I love that. I mean, I also, Mark, I, I feel like it's a frog in a movie is what tells you you're outside, basically, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you, It's nighttime and it's outside, right. boom, you know, right. you get it, like, right. so instantly. It's, it's narrative. You know, those last two, Carter and Carol, said something very much like the first caller who talked about sparrows, and it reminded me that... Um, um, so much about sound is contextual. Um, that that the, those into Carol uh, heard that distant plane, and it reminded me of my childhood growing up in the suburbs of Boston. And that sound always made me feel like home. Like if I heard that distant, soft drone of the propeller, it w- it reminded me of the suburbs. Mm. And so- sounds, but. For some people, because sounds are contextual, it doesn't work that way. And I'll give you an example. My wife grew up in the city, and I grew up in the suburbs. And so to me, the sound of those, the soft drone of crickets at night is, is, is lulling and peaceful. For her, it's the sound of city sirens and loud traffic. <laughs> And when I when we got married and she moved into my home and we lived up at the top of the the, the Hollywood Hills, it was dead quiet and it terrified her. The, mm. the the lulling sound of those crickets was disquieting for her. Inversely, when I would visit her in 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 the city at her her apartment, I I, I was terrified. Yeah. Um. Laura writes in to say, my favorite sound, and it's so soothing, is the sound of water hitting the side of a boat. I grew up in Venice, Italy, and also used to sail with my family when I was a little girl. Water is part of my being, so whenever I hear the sound of water against the side of the boat, I feel immediate peace and calmness. On the other side of things, Amy writes, the sound of a mountain thunder slash lightning storm, the crashing boom, the bright flash of light, the luscious sound of pouring rain. Ah, I'd love to have one right now. The hush of falling snow. It's so quiet and the air Mm. smells so fresh. Sound seems to ignite all the senses, fragrance, and also joy. Snow. Those are great. Yeah. Those Aren't are those all cool? really good. <laughs> yeah. No. Your listeners got it going on. Excellent taste in, in sounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the snow falling that you have in, uh, ah. in the film also reminded me, you know, Margaret Wise Brown, people may know her as a, as a children's book author. She wrote an amazing book called The Quiet Noisy Book. Which is all these tiny noises, like things you can barely not hear. One of them is snow falling. Um, one is one of them is leaves uncurling. <laughs> like wow. she, it's one of those books where like it is ear opening, um, and uh, and and I love it. I love it so much. That that sound you mentioned, the sound of snow falling, which is one of the thirty-two sounds, was incredibly difficult to actually make, and it's one of those sounds that is mostly in the film created by Mark. And um, that's a hard thing to get. It's because Mark explained this. I learned so much about sound from our conversations, the conversations Mark and I had. But so much of that sound is actually your 
the way a city is when it's snowing late at night, the way it's, there's not a lot of people out, there's a muffled, it's, it's, it's a sonic experience, but it's also an emotional psychogeographical experience that, mm-hmm. that creates the feeling of the sound of snow falling. So it's hard to actually get that in a movie. And we worked very hard to make this super sp- sparse soundscape that tries to approximate that. What did you do, Mark, to make it? Well, Sam's so right, and it's 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 a really interesting introduction to the nuances of sound. It's really all about the framing, which is to say sound itself, I mean, snow itself is a great um, acoustic isolator. It's, it's, it's a great way, uh, if you could line the walls of your home with snow, you wouldn't have any reverberance and you would have an anechoic chamber. And so we respond, there's a psychological response to the sounds of the city as they interact with the damping quality of the snow. And that's partially what's making us feel like we're hearing snow falling, but 50% of it is what snow is doing to all the other sounds you'd hear in a very different way Mm. without the snow. Mm. Right. You need like almost like a before and after, right? Yeah. 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 my, uh, I'm pretty sure this is my dad. Salvador tweets, "Hey, what about F1 racing sounds?" <laughs> wow, <laughs> I, yeah, those do have an incredible the roar in oh your chest God. of of F1 racing, definitely. Well, there's that two two for the price of one. You're getting a massive um, uh, vibration from those cars as well as the, as well as the sonic treat. Did you record anything like that for Mad Max or where did you get like the really loud kind of like engine sounds? Well, all credit to George Miller. We rec- all of those vehicles, as you may have read, were practical and they had real big V8 engines uh, with massive mufflers. And George, unlike many filmmakers, allocated money so that the sound department could record every one of those vehicles. And there were 38 of them. Uh, we had a month. We had a team of three sound recordists in the desert recording every vehicle for a month. No. <laughs> and, and then you and could he, just basically. I would, I would argue, Sam, that he, he spent more to record the vehicles <laughs> from Mad Max than Sam spent to make this film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should take that as a compliment. Yeah, I was about to say, is that a compliment? <laughs> oh, let me pull that back. Sorry. That must have been uh, so much fun, Mark. I oh can't imagine God, yeah. what no, a funner no, month no, would be. Yeah. Um, I got to get to two more calls that are just so interesting. Hold on. Um, Greg in Oakland. Welcome. Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, I just wanted to share an experience that I had during COVID. You know, they put the, they put the, the 10 o'clock curfew in one night and my wife and I were sitting in our garden in the hot tub and everything just went silent. And I don't think I've ever had such a binaural awakening as when I realized that I, I could sit in a position and I couldn't hear anything around me. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and there was no freeway in. There was nobody driving around. <clears throat> there was there was no noise, and it was the most mm. it, w- it was the most shocking sort of realization of what your ears are capable of when you suddenly hear nothing. Wow, yeah, and Greg, that just, is it was just a it was a really beautiful thing. It was a really such beautiful an interesting thing. point. I mean, and you know, to your um, guys' point earlier, um, Sam and Mark it's something had gone wrong in the world, right? And all the yeah. sound went away. Yeah. Um, I, let me uh, get to uh, Peter in Florida. Welcome, Peter. Yeah, thanks. You know, a lot of uh, 
if you uh, the difference isn't necessarily like hearing the snowfall. It's it's maybe believable because the winter, the big difference between the winter and the summer is that I mean everyone notices that in the winter you can hear much better because the sound doesn't get absorbed by the leaves. It's much quieter in the winter. I mean, I just noticed that just in front of my house. I can I can hear the neighbors and these little sounds for, uh, along the street, the neighbors and stuff. But but the sound gets absorbed in the summer because the leaves are absorbing the sound. The, 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 in other words, the, the ambiance of summer versus winter yeah. is huge. Mm-hmm. Peter, thanks. Right? Uh, yeah, no, thank you so much. Right, the the air conditions are different. Right, the sound waves are moving differently, and there's just there's more uh, ab- absorptive material out there. Um, I want to get um, Sam to this last question. Uh, Caroline writes, I have a six and an eight year old and I'd love to take them to this film. I've always loved sound as an aspect of storytelling from old radio shows and baseball on the radio that engage the theater of the mind to the feelings of songs to films that have great sound design and soundtracks to just absorbing what is happening around you. Um, is it? Can she take her kids? I, I would say yes. Yeah, right. I have a seven yeah. and an almost ten year old. I've been surprised. I have a six year old who's watched it many times, but maybe that's just me, you know, because I'm in it. But uh, I've been surprised that teenagers come and don't seem bored, and kids under ten come and seem to get something out of it. So I would say for sure. I had my headphones on, so my poor kids were like doing the ultimate wrong to this film, which is they were just staring at it because it was a screen (laughs) flickering. Um, uh, I just wanted to say also to to folks who might not have like captured when it's actually uh, playing, there's a link to the dates on our website. You can also search 32 sounds and you can find where it's playing all around. Final last little uh, realm of amazing sounds. Bill writes, as a horror film fan, I love the sound of maggots squirming through rotting flesh. (laughs) That's nice, Bill. Uh, Agamemnon writes, the sound in cinema is the emotion of film. It's physical, immersive, and encompassing. It's the substance of storytelling. A listener tweets, my daughter used to ice skate. I love the sound of the blades on ice. And Bill writes, as a young boy, I'd be in my room and could tell who was coming up the stairs. My mom's shoes were open and I could hear the back slap back. One brother's knees cracked and the absence of sound was my other brother. Thanks for the show. Um, If you want to know why we're playing Phil Collins, you're going to go have to see 32 (laughs) Sounds. Um, We've been talking about Sam Green's immersive documentary. It's so good. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Thank you, Alexis, and thank you, Grace. We've also been joined by Mark Mangini, sound designer for 32 Sounds and uh, Oscar-winning sound designer. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you very much, Alexis. Pleasure. And thanks so much to all of you out there writing in, calling in with your favorite sounds. I feel like we honestly could have done this for like five hours. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.